And hello again. Yes, indeed. It's been quite a while. But Giovanni McIyre is back for another edition of the By Job Show. Yeah, it might be a little rusty here, but uh, it's October 9th, 2023. And uh, the reason I've been away is because um, I had a lot of things that I needed to get done. Um, some things in the writing category, which always takes precedent, but um, other things related to promoting other people's projects and and uh, getting someone to help me promote my stuff. And my stuff being, so far, um, essentially two novels. One called Descent of Man and one called Schizosomnia. Um, those are the things that I've been focusing on um, because I have decided in my search for somebody to help me promote my material that I'm probably going to go down the route of trying to find an agent just because I have so much material, so much stuff out there, so much stuff that's coming up that I'm working on that um, I can't do it all. Um, I'm going to try to do some things outside of that purview of your traditional publishing house until, if and when, I can strike a deal. Um, and then it's a matter of uh, trying to convince the publishers that what you have to say is interesting as an artist. But anyway, it's an interesting experience because when you're a writer and you're doing creative things, there are many, many people out there who want to tell you, you know, basically what you're doing wrong um, and how you should change things in order to make it more palatable to the traditional publishing world. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, when you're trying to find a business partner, what people tend to do, and I saw reflected through the hundreds of resumes I got, was people who had an interest in becoming novelists or novelists themselves who somehow wanted to get in on my, my thing, which is not what I was asking for, but it's amazing. Like 95% of the applicants are that. They either start out with, you know, I'm a novelist too, and and what can you do for me? Or, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, not that I have that much power, but I do have some connections. Um, when people see those connections, they naturally want to promote their stuff, but it's not very honest, honestly. <laughs> honest, honestly. Um... I don't know if I would do that to somebody else. Um, but I may be guilty of that myself. It's understandable. So anyway, um, today's topic is, is sort of related to Descent of Man because Descent of Man has a pretty long section where the main character uh, gets involved working at a school. And the school, in this particular incident, which is called from a true story, um, claims that it has mental health uh, programs in place to help with the children, you know, as they're going through school. And this is in a uh, junior high school, uh, this particular incident in the seventh grade, with a young fellow who had a diagnosis of autism. So you can read about it in the book. But basically what it comes down to is the character in the book, who's a psychiatrist, goes into school and just says, hey, 
what's up? What are you doing with my client? Why, how come, you know, the things that you said you had in place are not being, you know, the plan that we agreed on is not executed, it's not being executed, you know? And when that person confronts, you know, and pretty softly, the folks in the school, the folks in the school get very upset and don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about any criticism as to how they're dealing with the situation. And so it's kind of an interesting thing, but there's a whole other section about volunteerism. Volunteerism, is it, is it, a, is it generally a good idea? Or is it not generally a good idea? Right? And volunteering information, is that a good idea? Well, it's complicated because volunteerism in general is a very nice thing. But when volunteerism is used for ulterior motives, used out of weakness instead of strength, right? That's where it gets a little problematic. And I'm going to try to explain this through a little story that uh, kind of came my way because I got an email from my daughter's high school. And the email itself seemed pretty, uh, let's say, innocent. But it concerned the National Honor Society. Now, everybody knows pretty much what the National Honor Society was, is, was. I was a member of the National Honor Society. Now, back in the day, when I was young and in high school, to get into the National Honor Society, basically, I think all you had to do was have a certain grade point average, and they'd sort of invite you, you know. And I wasn't really the type, you know, I wasn't the kind of guy who was you know, um, really going after it to get into Harvard. And, you know, I wasn't doing a lot of volunteering, that was for sure. But uh, I was kind of an anti-establishment type of person, even as a teenager. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. It's kind of tradition I grew out of, I guess. Um, maybe par partly being Scottish, you know, that kind of... <laughs> I kind of might do it to you in a way because, you know, you're Scottish are just, you know, basically not everybody, but, you know, there's a very strong independent streak due to the fact that they were, you know, had these constant battles with the English and trying to get dominance and what have you. But anyway, um, that's beside the point. But what's interesting is um, that I wasn't really a good candidate for National Honor Society, but somehow I got in. Um... I also got in Phi Beta Kappa when I was in college, and that was very strange because you didn't even have to, I don't, I don't know if you, I've even applied for the National Honor Society when I was younger. I must have, somehow. There must be some kind of application, but Phi Beta Kappa doesn't do that. They come along and tell you, you are in Phi Beta Kappa, you don't apply for it. Someone just, I don't know, says, hey, maybe this guy should be in, and then you're in. And uh, this gets into fraternities and other honor societies. And like Feynman, Richard Feynman, and like Groucho Marx, you know, the way they would say it is, you know, anybody who wants me as a member of their honor society automatically predisposes me to go against your honor society. <laughs> uh, kind of clever. And that's always made an impression on me, you know. Feynman used to say, oh, you know, if you are deemed to be, and this is this is a genius talking, right? And he he didn't get in, apparently, in the Arista, I think it was called. 
if you are deemed so, you know, and of course it's all based on social uh, posturing and, and, and motivations and strategy, right? It's not really based on, well, I guess it's national. I guess it's a society, but is it an honorable? Is it honor? Honor? What's the honor part of that? I don't know. Someone bestows an honor on you, I guess. But uh, does that mean you're an honorable person? Um, hmm. You know, they might not even claim that as a criterion, but it's a very interesting question. Um, but the Phi Beta Kappa things seem a little bit more, you know, I mean, you don't have a choice whether you want to accept or decline, I suppose, but I mean, it's like the, the Nobel Prize Committee has come in kind of a minor way and said, you are going to receive this, you know. If you have to go apply for an award, I think automatically those awards are kind of shit. Um, doesn't make much sense to me because a lot of the people who win these awards are from a very small pool. Like the Daytime Emmy Awards is a perfect example. Nobody takes them seriously because there are basically only three shows to choose from. So someone's got to win it, right? It just rotates between the various... And you could say, well, that's not fair to people. You know, a lot of people in those institutions who are kind of competing against each other, I suppose. Yeah, okay, fine. It, you know, it's nice to recognize people's work, um, even in a traditional sense, but... I mean, it does get a little silly, you know? I mean, the main motivation behind awards at this point, the Oscars included, is for advertising, PR purposes. I won an award, therefore I'm legitimate. Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, in the overall scheme. But anyway, I got this email from the school regarding my daughter, who does have very good grades. She's a smart little cookie, I have to admit. Now, she was in calculus, and as a former mathematician, I discouraged her from taking calculus because I said, if you're, if you're not going to be in a science or a math or any kind of highly, you know, anything that requires a lot of mathematical, you know, uh, ability, well, you have to take calculus for sure. If you're going to be a physicist, there's no way out. It's just embedded in it. I mean, that's true for some of the sciences, but especially physics. So if you're not going to be in math or physics... You know, maybe chemistry has a little bit, um, you know, some other things, economics, biology, you know, that, you know, there's just a little touch of this and that calculus, but, um, you really don't need it for most, most of the things. Um, for instance, if you're going to get into psychology, it's very, um, irrelevant, I think, whether you have a course in calculus or not. A course in statistics, however, is, is very important, very important, not just for social sciences, but for many things to understand how to think um, in those terms. And it's very powerful because it can tell you the difference between good research and bad research. Of course, if you're doing research yourself, you just hire a statistician. There's no way in a hell even the brightest PhD student who's not a mathematician is going to be able to formulate a proper st statistical analysis of whatever research project they're doing. So by definition, you're going to hire out and get a, a statistician to, to work with you. So you don't really even need to know it. What you do need to know is how to look at it, consume it, and make decisions based on what you see, right? You need to know very simple things. What, what kind of sampling did you do? You know, what kind of uh, confidence intervals are involved? What kind of whatever? 
So as a math as a math student, I learned all that. I learned uh, calculus, but I also learned probability, and I learned statistics. I learned a couple of kinds of statistics, right? There's a course of statistics, which is applied statistics, right? Applied statistics is the kind I'm talking about. So my daughter has decided to take statistics instead because it's easier, because it's more useful, and because I advised her. She saw what was ahead of her in calculus and was like, oh boy, I'm going to spend all this time and energy. And, uh, you know, for, for kind of not so great reasons or reasoning. So anyway, she started taking statistics, and that's really great, because I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be so useful to you, no matter what you do. But anyway, when I was in school, I took a applied statistics, right, which is just exactly what I said. But then there's this other thing that is statistics itself, right? Um, the applying of the statistics for a mathematician is fairly easy stuff, Um the theoretical derivation of statistical principles, which the applied statistics uses, right, is a whole different ballgame. It's a much more fundamental mathematical type of thing. And that takes um, people who are very, very smart to figure out. Okay? And so they've done that, and it's quite miraculous what they've been able to do. So when I went to social work school become a psychotherapist, one of the prerequisites for a master's degree was to have some kind of statistical um, background, a course or something, and if you didn't have it, you'd have to take it before you got into the school. Well, you know, I was like, well, you know, maybe I should just take it just to refresh my memory, but they were like, let's see your transcript, and I looked at my transcript, and lo and behold, on it, it said, introduction to Mathematical statistics, which was the theoretical mathematical mathematics course that I took, it was the it was the it was the stuff that came up with the statistical tools in the first place, not the application of them. So they saw that and they said, "Well, no problem, you can go through." And I said, "Wow, that's interesting. You have absolutely no clue what you did because you just passed me into the." that requirement without actually checking to see if I had ever done anything that had to do with applying statistics, which is really the point. So that was kind of ironic. But anyway, you know, the, I could talk about the AP system till I'm blue in the face because actually my daughter just applied. She just uh, was asked to, you know, sign up for her AP exams that take place in the springtime. And uh, she found out that on the AP physics uh, exam, which doesn't even involve calculus anymore, which I was surprised by, because back in the day it did. Um, if Most people who take that, that, uh, that exam get a one on it. Of course, if you get a one on it, it's kind of meaningless because no school is going to give you credit. If you get a one, you've got to get a three, four, or five on the test usually to get a credit. And then in colleges, it's very tricky now because it's not as standardized as it used to be. So some colleges have core courses that aren't your traditional ones like composition, literature, history. You know, you get a, you have a, a kind of standalone class. Now they're all combined into these humanity core courses. And so if you take, you know, what used to be traditional, like say AP composition in high school, it may or may not 
you may or may not get credit for it, not just because of the score you get on the exam, but because that particular, whichever college you you know end up going to, may not accept that as a um, as a legitimate uh, credit because um, their courses don't align with with the courses in the high schools anymore necessarily. So you're, I think the whole AP thing is somewhat suspect. But let's get back to the National Honor Society. So in this email, it says you're receiving this message because your kid has a GPA which qualifies you. Okay, so there's a National Honor Society chapter in the school, right? And at some point, they want to encourage you. And I think even last year, they tried to encourage her. But I, I was sort of like, you know, I gave her my whole spiel on it. And she was like, hmm, I don't know, maybe I'll try she didn't seem very motivated because these days getting a National Honor Society requires a whole bunch of other stuff that has nothing to do with your GPA. And that's pretty reasonable. I, I think there should be maybe something else. But I was kind of surprised by the, uh, the level of involvement. Now, the Ash- National Honor Society, I guess you could say, is, it can, you know, it's good for stroking your ego. You can say, hey, I'm a National Honor, and everybody can applaud but it's really just so that you can say, I'm on the National Honor Society, so when you apply to college, that's kind of something that people will be like, bing. Well, I don't know. I think you can kind of tell by someone's GPA, you know, if they're doing pretty well. But let, let's say you want, to, you want to round out the application, right? So that's what the Honor Society is. It's just, we're going to round out our application process. You know, and so I'm not saying this is a bad idea, but I'm saying it, it kind of raises my... My my skepticism, let's say. So, yeah, um, not only are they wondering if um, this particular student, my daughter, would like to be in it, they're, they're kind of already prompting you. And, and, and by the way, if you have any younger family members who could possibly on this track in the future, just make sure they get on track as early as possible. Now, COVID has created some problems because of the you know, the inability to meet in groups and everything. So some of the volunteering things were apparently, you know, modified to account for that. So that makes sense, right? But anyway, um, if you have a cumulative GPA of 3.5 or above, you know, uh, and uh, you're, in a ju- you're a junior or senior, you can get an invitation to join, right? So... They also say, we hope, this is a quote, we hope that applying for NHS will be included on every high school career to-do list whenever a student becomes eligible. This communication is intended to encourage all recipients to maintain their commitment to academic excellence, to seek help when needed, and to support peers in attaining similar goals. Okay. But, here's the caveat, GPA is not the only requirement. Okay, so number one in bold letters is complete at least 45 hours of volunteer service, which can be verified by an organization or individual who's not a family member. Okay, these hours can be served anytime, blah, 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 pretty much from, you know, just after eighth grade to all the way up through 12th grade. Uh, they mentioned that the requirements have been increasing since 2022. Um, building back from major reductions related to the disruptions of school and community life caused by COVID. Okay, fine. That makes sense. <coughs> Adjustments have been implemented gradually. Okay, that all makes sense. 
So starting for applicants in the spring of 2024, at least 10 of the 45 minimum hours should be performed in service directly to the school community. Now you might say 10 hours is not a lot, or you might say 45 hours is not a lot. But my daughter takes, I think she's in four AP classes, plus others, plus in three sports, um, some of which are on varsity level, etc., etc. So, you know, between eating and sleeping and, you know, getting everything done, that's, 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 and she has this part-time job um, on top of it, maybe 10 hours a week. But anyway, they want the 10 hours to be done in, in the school itself, and these are the things you can do. Teaching assistant hours, assistance with school assemblies, or presentations, peer tutoring, child care for parent-teacher, meeting school beautification, construction-related classroom, takedown setup, etc. Okay, so that's where my, that's where my skeptical um, kind of take on it started to be a little bit more cynical because I was like, well, this is kind of typical. The schools right now are under so much pressure because their budgets have been slashed and because taxes basically have not been raised to support the schools. There's a slow bleed, you know, ever since Reagan's time, probably. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, the schools have been decimated to the point where teachers are spending their personal money to help. People are volunteering like mad because, you know, they have an interest in it. Uh, whatever their interests might be, even if it's misguided in my in my opinion, but you know they've decided for themselves, right? So, you know, the George W. H. W. Bush thousand points of light thing, right, was very cynical at its heart because at this very same time they were slashing social programs, they they needed to fill that gap. Well, they couldn't do it by raising taxes because that moron made people sign things that they wouldn't raise taxes. And of course, that was because these politicians were afraid they would be booted out of office, which was probably true. But it was kind of a little bit of a, an extreme Nazi kind of move. And um, I think it's done a lot of damage to the educational system in this country. Nonetheless, right, um, this thousand point of light thing, right, has you know, people are like, well, who wouldn't volunteer? That's what people say to me all the time. What do you mean you don't want to volunteer? What's wrong with you? You know, well, this is why. Um, I don't feel like I should be making up, you know, for the inefficiencies and the, and the, and the uh, you know, lack of funding uh, in schools. Even to the point where when I get individual requests sometimes from teachers, I'll still decline it because I like, have, have you talked to your superiors? Have you talked to your politicians, people who are in charge of your bu budget, before you talk to me? No? Okay. Well, then I'm not going to volunteer. That's kind of my role, and I think it's pretty reasonable. If you can't go ask for money where you're supposed to go ask for money before you ask for my money or my services, right, then uh, I don't think that's fair. You know, you're just sidestepping it, and you're not thinking about it that deeply. Because what you really should be doing is that. Now, you don't have to do one or the other, of course. But uh, when I hear that somebody hasn't even tried, you know, then I'm, then I'm not interested. So that's kind of my own take on it. And that's kind of the take, in a sense, of the character in the story. But uh, that does not mean that I don't approve of volunteering. So I don't want to hear all the, you know, knee-jerk reactions.
Anyway, uh, so, you know, when you look at what they want you to do, teaching assistant hours, okay. Um, is that to assist the teacher or is that to assist the student? And when I say this, I mean mostly, right, because it can be both. Um, typically, it's to assist the teacher, right? That's why it's called teaching assistant. Uh, assistance with school assemblies or presentations. Now, that seems like it's, you're getting a little bit off, off, off base there because now you're starting to, you know, include all sorts of things that are just uh, not necessarily related to the core of the education process. Peer tutoring. That one seems the best to me because at least you're helping other students. Um, assist, uh, child care for parent-teacher meetings. Okay, well, if we had a country that cared about raising children and, you know, had some provisions for child care, like every other civilized nation, uh, advanced industrial nation, whatever you want to civilize is a loaded term. Anyway, you know what I mean? Well-meaning society, you'd have that in place under a whole different, you know, uh, set of circumstances. It wouldn't be funneled through the school, right? So that kind of makes me say, no, school beautification, all right, I don't think we need that. One of the problems in this town is there's so many potholes on the streets, but yet they're so busy constructing all this other stuff before they do that. You know, very fancy things that really are not necessary, but, um, you know, because they're sexy and they have the money, they have to spend it. Um, Construction-related classroom takedown setup, I think that, you know, my daughter participates in gymnastics, and of course with gymnastics there's a lot of equipment involved. It's rather bulky, it's heavy, it's big. And I think it's very irresponsible to have young children, some of whom are going through puberty still, all of who, you know, brains haven't developed, bodies haven't developed, you know, to take on the task of moving heavy equipment around. So I said to my daughter, in no uncertain terms, you will not go and do that simply because there's a lack of budget for people, you know, custodians and other types of those people. You know, they've slashed all those budgets too, right? So now you have the students, you know, minors who are being uh, mined for their working, um, you know, working for free, basically, you know, let alone child labor. I mean, child labor does not mean that you're not paying the children. It means you're putting children in danger and you're putting them in environments that are not healthy for them before they're ready for it right, quote-unquote, but nobody's ready for it. But it's, it was has always been considered abusive, you know, because when you looked at, you know, you go back to uh, Dickens, right? And, uh, you know, and Upton Sinclair, and you look at those conditions, right, and you say never again, but here we are, the pendulum's swinging back, and it's going to be acceptable. You can see in many states this is already, the legislation is going through to allow 15-year-olds, you know, there is a recent where some 15-year-old, you know, some minor was working in a, in a warehouse uh, setting and I think uh, lost a limb or something like that. But um, I don't know. I don't feel like that's a good step in the right direction. So that kind of got me annoyed. Um, a maximum of 25 hours may be counted specifically for services. Teaching assistant, okay. That's okay by me. Um, hours spent fundraising, um, for uh, school clubs, sports teams, other organizations will be prorated at 50%, 
right? So that those things are considered somewhat iffy, right? Clubs, sports teams, and other organizations. Now, I don't know why they would you would only get half a credit for each hour that you work, but that's probably because um, they're more expendable and, you know, nobody's going to really, you know, object as strenuously. Um, but anyway, uh, my daughter kind of tried to, tried to trick, you know, trick the system. And our discussion about this is like, well, if I work at my job, that's in the community. Um, I said, well, nah, it's a bakery job. I mean, she's doing some great work and learning some great things, but that is not considered community oriented. Um, so that doesn't work because you're getting paid for it. Of course, if you're getting paid for it, then it's not being volunteered. But that, you know, that's an interesting thing, right? Because, um, you know, you know, the very fact that you're getting paid should not, should not, you know, you should not necessarily see that as, you know, by definition, uh, against the grain of volunteerism, right? But this is kind of how it is. Like, we've got this ingrained system where, you know, let's say people in the colleges, right, all the adjunct faculty, you know, they're getting paid, but it's pennies on the dollar. I mean, it's just a token payment. You can't live off that. You know, so in a way, it's volunteerism. It's forced volunteerism because for many of the adjunct faculty, um, they're graduate students or other people who, you know, need to stay in this in the in the um, school system, but and and they have to do it because if they don't, they're going to be kicked out or you're going to get their scholarship taken away or whatever. But um, anyway, uh, let's keep going down. Um, yeah, and then they start having more conditions on it, right? Um, which there have to be some some conditions certainly but so anyway i was like okay i'm reading this stuff and it's it's really kind of hitting me the wrong way most people are just like oh fine um because there is such a you know there's such competition to get in i mean it's kind of silly but there are very few professions where you have to get in to this or that school like you should really think about it like in terms of you know undergraduate really doesn't matter much at all um matters, you know, what your interest, if you have a focus, go to a school that has a strong focus in that. So you're not going to really be working with anybody who, who can be influential. Um, graduate school is different, you know, go to the school where you have somebody who's good, who can mentor you, who happens to be exactly in line with you. You know, if you want to do number theory, right, go to the university. I don't know, Harvard used to have a very strong number theory program. Go there, right? Um, it's more dependent on the professors who are there. And then, first of all, you have to, you have to first get in the school and then be mentored, and get, then get a mentor, which is tricky, because it'd be great if you'd get a mentor and then get in the school, because that's what's really the most important, but that's not how it works. So, you know, I can understand people using this as a bargaining chip to get in the, you know, and then, like, there are certain professional schools. Like, if you're in law school, you want to work in the elite of the law field. Um, you have to go to essentially a top 20 school. Um, if you don't, 
you're going to be, you know, and it's not fair and it's ridiculous because, you know, a law education at a very good, you know, college that's not an Ivy League is perfectly fine and uh, may even be preferable to certain, for certain reasons, because then you're not sucked into the elite world. And the elite world is what's mostly causing most of the issues right now, honestly. But, uh, you know, you really shouldn't, you know, for instance, in my daughter's case, she doesn't even know what she wants to major in, right? So if you don't know that, I think, you know, you, you kind of you want to try to go to school that has a good reputation, but that doesn't cost all that much. You know, that's my my take on it. Um, but anyway, um, so then I get into more, you know, things about, you know, there's a selection committee involved. Um, number two, the criterion is you have to participate in three or more school-based activities, sports clubs or other student organizations. Now, that means a minimum of three activities spread across all high school years. It does not mean three activities per year. So I'm like, wow, three activities per year, every year. Wow. Now, that means you're kind of locked in, whether you like it or not. I know my daughter likes gymnastics, but at a certain point she dropped out because it wasn't that interesting anymore. You know, so um, that would disqualify. So I'm just saying to her, look, if you're going to commit to this thing, you have to commit. Like, you know, you're going to be doing all this stuff that may or may not, you know, make any difference to you, either in the moment for the thing in itself or getting this particular little bobble that will go into your application. I was like, well, maybe you want to do, you know, the thing that a lot of people in the college admissions committee tell us is, you know, knock us over with something that's unique, right? National Honor Society is not unique. Now, if you started, you know, let's say baking, in my daughter's case, and you made these, you know, breakfasty things or whatever, that you could go out and distribute to people on the street, the homeless, whatever, man, I'd say that's a pretty damn good volunteer uh, kind of thing. But <laughs> as you see in Descent of Men, the character, this happens in real life, you know, you can get prosecuted for giving out, pe giving food to homeless people, you know, if you don't have the right credentials. And of course, those credentials are um, meant to discourage it. Um, you know, because God forbid you you go out in the kindness of your heart with your own money and your own effort, your own willpower to feed somebody who's starving, right? It has to be done through the bureaucracy. You can't just go and do it because you feel like it, right? Now, if you're smart, you do that without notifying anybody about it. But if you get caught, who knows? So that, that seems pretty onerous to me, too. Um, although the selection committee encourages students to explore multiple extracurricular options, and clubs often provide connections to volunteer service opportunities, joining high numbers activities beyond the minimum of three does not confer any advantage in the selection process. <laughs> so they're like, no, three is good, but over three is not. <laughs> so at least, you know. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. And what else? Uh, does not confer any advantage in the selection process. NHS 
selection similar to college admissions, prioritizes meaningful participation in leadership, leadership skill development over membership in name only. Okay, well, I don't know. I guess that they're saying, well, you if, if you just join an organization and you don't do anything, then that's not good. Well, I don't know. National Honor Society is all kind of like that in a way. I mean, national. I don't know that National Honor Society really does much outside of this context, right? And uh, so the National Honor Society and these schools are, are kind of in cahoots with each other because the school is getting something and the National Honor Society is getting something, meaning they're still in existence, right? Unlike the SAT and all those tests, which people are like, why do we need to do this, right? It has no relation to how good you're going to do in college. So now it's getting phased out. So the college board is really upset, right? Uh-oh. Our whole thing is threatened, right? But they still got the AP test. Uh, people are going to start questioning that too. People are going to start questioning National Honor Society, et cetera, et cetera. And for good reason. Yeah, so you need strong, number three is you need strong marks for leadership, scholarship, you know, intra genuine interest in their studies beyond grades. Well, how do you determine genuine interest in something? Um, leadership, okay, leadership is also one of these things that is just always considered an objective good, right? Well, if you look at the state of the world today and you look at the leaders, right, I don't know if leadership is necessarily a positive thing. Leadership is a necessary thing. But um, leadership on its own does not necessarily confer any kind of honor or value. Um, right now, leadership is, is in a terrible state because most of our leaders are, are charlatans, um, the great majority of them. They're not in it for the right reasons. Okay, So I don't know that leadership, and when you get into the so-called leadership program kind of funnel, right, it's all from the point of view from the people who are in charge and the elites and the leaders, right? And they're going to teach you like with ROTC, right? They're going to teach you from their perspective, right? And their perspective is about, you know, leading the world, fighting the world, so that, generally speaking, the United States can remain dominant and have a fix on everything, right? That's what it generally means. So if that's your mission, I don't know. Is that honorable? I don't consider that honorable. Um, yeah, so let's see what else. I mean, what else do you want from our kids, right? So the teachers respond to a survey. So I guess if you have a teacher that likes you, you know, that, that'll work in favor. That's no problem for her. Yeah. We want all of our high-achieving students to know about these requirements now so that they will remember to keep accurate records of their volunteer work and school activities and perhaps seek out new opportunities this summer or next fall. Okay, so you're going to have to take out your spreadsheets, kids. It's like a whole other, like other part-time job to get this thing. I don't know. In my view, it's not worth it. Um, okay, and then they talk about the specifics and the application pro process. Um, all correspondence regarding National Honor Society will come directly from the high school, not a third party. So even that is kind of filtered through the, 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 the you know, their ethos, right? Membership in NHS is free of charge. Well, it's only free of charge in the sense that you don't have to, I guess, 
fork over some money for the application. I'm surprised that they don't do that, right? Because the AP test, every single test is like hundreds of dollars, right? Um, but it's not free because you, you have, you know, done labor for no money, right? Um, and then they say, you know, watch out for the scammers because someone's going to come along and pretend they're from the National Honor Society. You know? <laughs> well, anyway, so this is all very interesting. And a lot of it is covered in Descent of Man, um, or at least exposed. And, uh, you know, this is the idea of bureaucracy, right? There are some Marxist principles that are, that are uh, you know, that, that that are being violated in a way um, in the sense that, you know, when you work, you know, you should ex expect to be respected and expect to have a living wage. And there should be some something other something other involved other than a transactional nature, right? Some of this has to do with your the needs of your psyche and your soul, right? In terms of, you know, am I producing something that has meaning, right? If I make you a bench out of this huge fallen tree, you know, it's a wonderful thing because it's a win-win situation, right? I mean, the, the customer gets a beautiful thing that's utilitarian, artistically crafted. You work, you know, do an honest day's work, weeks, months probably, get paid for it, right, in an honest way, take pride in your work, you know, you can say, hey, look what I did, yeah, you know, have some amount of uh, pride over what you did, right, but the guy at the car factory, you know, putting in that rivet in the upper right corner of the car a gazillion times over the last 20 years, right, does not have that part of his process. Now, back in the old days, the unions made it, you know, and there was just a, there's just, there is now a strike, right, or a threat of strike by the auto workers, but, you know, back in the day, you could make a pretty decent living as an auto worker before the unions were decimated. I still think you can, but um, your opportunities are very limited, so not many people can do that, and you probably don't have as good a ride through but anyway, this is more of, you know, kind of institutional bureaucracy, capitalistic, extreme, you know, that's dehumanizing our population. And it starts from a very, very early age. The moment you walk into school, right, you're kind of, you know, I mean, brainwashed, not, not consciously, but, well, somewhere consciously, but most people just go along with it, right? You know, you are being groomed to uh, play within the elite system, right? Or at least do what they say, and uh, no questions asked, right? Don't, don't, how dare you? You know, how dare you say don't volunteer? You know, when I say that, people look at me like I've got five heads. But uh, if you think about it a little bit more deeply, and particularly if you have volunteered, in the past. I mean, I have volunteered a ton of hours. And did it do me 
or any of my clients or anybody associated with did it do much did it do what it purported to do you know to do by and large no by and large it 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 benefited the institution and that is really the ground and the basis for all this stuff um most of it in my opinion is um done for the advantage of the of the bureaucracy and uh bureaucracies are very inefficient and they're often um almost by definition um more interested in their own survival right than they are in whatever um service they provide right so you you can't not have negative effects in any large group that's why it's important to say take sociology right to kind of understand the dynamics right there are, there are pretty bad bureaucracies uh, that's all they do they're all they're completely out for themselves and they couldn't give a damn about anybody but yet you know they kind of pretend like they do right and then there are institutions that actually run their bureaucracies and they have a lot of problems but they actually run pretty well you know and they're about as good as you can do now can i think of one off the top of my head not really but cuz the bad ones far outweigh the the good ones but anyway that's kind of my my take um it is related to the descent of man book and i just thought i'd throw that out this is an easy one for me um kind of get out there now in the next few days um i had a whole bunch of topics in mind based on what i had been reading in the news and uh i think i'm going to let some of those sit for a while and get straight into the issue that's happening over in palestine so yeah and uh you probably um either guess or imagine that um i'm going to have a pretty unpopular opinion as things go today um and some of what i've been talking about will play into that because uh i believe we have been manipulated into taking a certain point of view and if you don't take that point of view um you're going to be punished for it even if your um counter example your counter argument is is fairly reasoned and uh fairly benign and fairly um you know fairly based on the facts um that um a lot of that doesn't matter because we are in a age of extreme ideology and that seems to be what's fueling most things so you're either with us or you're against us you know very black and white thinking every you know freshman psychology major will you know kind of note that i guess theoretically when it comes to recognizing it in real life and how it affects your life people often don't don't see it just like when people come to therapy and and can theoretically understand you know why things might not be going well in their life um and the, the only real problem being is that instead of taking that information and acting upon it and actually doing something you know you can just get into a endless theoretical discussion about things and that's often what clients try to do um as in that part of the role of being a psychotherapist is to point it out and uh 
redirect into something that's going to be a little bit more constructive. You know, they are paying you to do that. And they're wasting their money if they, you know, are paying good money and, and getting some support and, uh, and not implementing it. In fact, I will sometimes just discharge people if, uh, you know, I've given them a couple of chances to actually start, you know, doing the work, the real work. And at some point I will just say, you know, I think um, it's getting to a point where, you know, you're coming and I give you credit for that, but uh, you're, you're not really doing. So you're wasting your, your money and your time. And I'm actually practicing in an unethical way because I'm taking your money um, and I'm supposed to be providing you with something. But if we can't get through to the point where you turn, you know, ideas into action, then psychotherapy will do you no good. You can read all the psychotherapy you want to. It's what you learn as a psychotherapist. You can, you can be trained in all bunch of stuff, but until you start practicing psychotherapy, it's kind of the flip side of the coin. You really don't know what you're doing, right? You have to put it into practice. So anyway, that's my spiel for today. Today being October 9th, 2023. We'll come back in a couple of days and uh, take up the, uh, the current uh, chaos in the uh, Middle East, right? So until then, this is Giovanni McGuire saying, have a good day.